And you know, part of it is because of what I noticed when I was going through my grief was I was holding a lot of shame. And I'm like, why, why do I feel like I have to push through this? Or why do I have to grieve the way other people are telling me I should grieve, right? Like it was just really crazy to me. And as I was kind of processing that, you know, one of the things that, again, I'll, I'll go back to is I wasn't even comfortable sharing a lot of my emotions with my family because I felt like I would be a burden to them because they were missing Richard and loving him too, right? And so I didn't want to add to their pain and to their grief. So it was very hard for me to share mine. And I think there's something to that. You know, again, I came to that realization with my son that, oh, I'll let my guard down so that he can understand. But yet I wasn't even doing that with my loved ones. As I kind of think back about it, it's because we live in this society where we're so uncomfortable with other people's emotions that we will say things that will kind of keep them at arm's length. Like, oh, I used to hear this all the time and it was so insensitive. Oh, don't worry. You're young. You're going to get married again. Or they would say something like, oh, if you just stay busy, then you'll be okay. Like, no, all of these things, it is either distracting you from working through it or it is forcing you to suppress it. And guess what? The more we suppress it, the more likely it is going to manifest itself in unhealthy ways. But if we let it come to the surface and we learn how to manage it, it actually builds your resilience. That's resilience and mindset expert, Karen Millsap. And I'm Brian Felchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Felchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Day doers, welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. It's your host, Brian. Someone called me Mr. Do A Day the other day. I don't, I don't think I'm going to start introducing myself that way, but I appreciated the sentiment, and let's just leave it at that. Um, I have what I always have, an incredible guest. This one blew me away. I was listening to... The Ridiculously Human Podcast. I feel like that's something I've been talking about on kind of every episode-ish. It's kind of either been them or Michael O'Brien, which, of course, I only know them because of Michael O'Brien, so it's kind of all the same thing. But I was listening and was hearing this story, and I was just utterly, like, utterly blown away. Uh, and usually, if I'm listening to a guest and I'm like, they'd be perfect for the show, I would finish the episode and then reach out to them, but I couldn't wait. And so I paused the thing and I went on this person's website and reached out. I was just like, hey, you're perfect for the show. Your story literally blew me away. Your message is amazing. You tell it perfectly. I just, I want to talk to you. I want to interview you. Would you please do my show? By the way, I couldn't even wait to finish the episode. I had to reach out to you. And she got right back to me. It was Karen Millsap. That's his on. She's amazing. It's an like gut-wrenching horrible story and for a guy who almost lost his wife um it hit me even harder like I, I don't know how it wouldn't hit someone hard but she lost her husband uh really violently it was murdered uh she goes through the whole story they had a two-year-old you know my son was two when my wife got sick so it's just like all of it uh was just hitting me so much harder than, to be honest, than I was ready for it to, and than I expected it to. It's not like I ever would have been okay with it, but it just brought me right back to, you know, my own, my own like staring that loss in its face and 
like I, I'm lucky I I didn't ultimately go through it she did and so this is a really personal one for me because there's a an aspect of seeing maybe not what my life would have been like because I don't know if I would have handled it the same as Karen like this is pre-do a day for me so I don't I don't know how it would have come through all that. And that's actually, that's a question I've wrestled with for a long time, whether I would have woken up in the aftermath of that loss. And so she gave me a little window into the path that if I had gone through that, what I should take. But I say that and then I'm reflecting on things she's saying about how people tell you how you're supposed to grieve and are you grieving like they're saying you should and all that. And it's, look, she knows this much better than I do, hopefully better than pretty much anyone listening ever will have to know. But there's such power and knowledge in her experience and her lessons, which thank you to her for sharing them. Uh, we can all grow from. I literally could speak for an hour before jumping into this episode. So that is the wrong answer. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stop here. Um, let me just tell you really quickly about Karen. She is a resilience coach. She's a a leaders, you know, like a coach for leaders, um, people looking to do better in their career, to help others do better in their careers because you're better for them as their boss, as their leader. Uh, but the resilience piece is, is really critical. And it seems like such a simple thing. And then you think about what resilience means in her context, and you start to understand how unbelievably qualified she is to help in any context because her resilience was challenged you know in the strongest possible way it could ever be challenged so yeah really inspiring karen is incredible i love talking to her she has this energy this clarity and it comes from you know the least clear least positive place most people could ever end up and yet here she is uh, there's no way you're going to get through this episode. A, not being moved, but more importantly, B, not being just totally blown away and inspired by her and getting why I had to kind of drop everything and get her on the show. Look, I'm doing it again. I'm going on and on. It's been like a minute and a half since I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to cut to the show. So I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to cut to the show with Karen Millsap. Karen Millsap, thank you so much for joining me today. No, oh, thank you for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You're another ridiculously human human. <laughs> I love yeah. those guys. I need a better way to refer to Gareth and Craig, but um <laughs> yeah, just incredible people and they have incredible people on. So in listening to their show, I was like, wow, what an yeah. amazing person to bring on my show. So I'm so you you got right back to me. I think I was like halfway through the episode. I'm like, I'm not gonna finish this. I'm just gonna reach out. <laughs> <laughs> and you well, said I'm yes. glad that you did. Yeah. yeah. And somebody said that to me too. They're like, gosh, you responded so fast. And I said, because you know what? If I were not dedicated to my passion or my mission, then yeah, I'd be sitting on my hands or waiting yeah. to respond. But no, this is I love inspiring people and, and collaborating with folks like yourself who are looking to do the same and bring that light into the world. Oh, that's awesome. Good. We're aligned then. We are. <laughs> Makes it much easier. Um, can you give people kind of the nutshell of what you're doing these days? And then obviously we'll we'll go into the why behind that and, and unpack your story. 
Yes, of course. So, you know, I, it actually took me a while to get to this point of like, who are you and what do you have to offer the world? (laughs) But I am a resilience and mindset coach. I teach people how to grow through their adversities and also everyday stressors and with practical resources and habits and everything that I teach is something that I use currently or have used in my journey of healing. So I'm just extremely passionate about Um, helping people to understand the power of choice because there was this really dark moment that I was unpacking that. And it helped me realize that I hold the same power as a monster who could use the power of choice to do something horrible. Well, I can use it to do something great. And so I just want to um, kind of set that fire in other folks, you know, because it really is, it's about your mindset. It is about the power of choice. So you you bring up this power of choice. This is something I talk about a lot, and I find some people get really offended by it. But you saw like, how well, when you brought that up with me, I got giddy. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. No, it's like I'm glad that you you use those words, and and actually the not just is it a power you have, but the power of the impact of it because you could do it for good and for bad, and whether that's something horrible to someone else or something not so loving to yourself. But the, the reason why people seem to get offended is like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, you know, I didn't choose. And it's that word choose or choice that gets loaded. But um, you are such a clear example for me that it really is a choice. Um, and no one says it's easy. There's no judgment in the gravity of it or, you know, you're weak if you don't choose. It's it's hard. There's no question. But um you did make a choice. And if, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to your story um, and what put you in that position where you had this choice. Sure. And, you know, I want to stop there for just a quick second because I, I completely understand that mindset of, well, I didn't choose this, yeah. but there's a difference between choice and being uh, and controlling something. Mm. Like we can't control everything that has happened, you know, events or circumstances that are in our life because it, we're just in a world where there are things out of our control. But that does still uh, allow us to tap into the power of choice, which is in our response, mm. right? So yeah. our choice is, re- is tied to our response, but no, we can't control everything that happens to us. So that's okay to honor that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so for me, I learned this lesson a a very hard way, unfortunately. Um, When I was 29 years old, uh, life was quote unquote normal, (laughs) as normal as it could get for anybody. Um, But, you know, I was working a cushy corporate job. I was in um, HR and and recruitment. And uh, my husband had just opened up a CrossFit gym. And so he opened it up um, maybe six months before this. So uh, we were in August 2013, um, when on a Monday, I happened to have to do some interviews from home um, because I was a recruiter and the gamut of the roles that I was uh, um, filling, you know, they ranged up to executives. And so executives, you know, they got to do interviews after hours. So, um, so, but it was a rare occurrence. And so I text my husband, I said, Hey, um, I have this, a couple of interviews that I have to do tonight. Do you want me to come pick up the kids? Um, our CrossFit was like a family, you know, we had a space for the kids to play. Whenever I got off work, I was over there, you know, people would bring their other kids. Like it was just very much a, a community and became that very quickly. And so, uh, when I asked him if he wanted me to come get them, he said, yeah, you know, I'll meet you guys back at the house. And so I dropped my stepdaughter off over at her mom's house. He was going to pick her up on the way home. I headed home with my son who was two at the time, got him settled in and hopped on my first interview. 
And so in the middle of this phone call, um, I was using the house phone, but I noticed that my cell phone started buzzing and didn't stop. So after a little bit, I finally picked up the phone. Um, I, I reached for it. And when I looked at it, I noticed that there were several calls from one person. And this was somebody who was a member at our gym. So my thought, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this, you can think a million things in a nanosecond, right? Yeah. But but the train of thought was really, oh, Richard must have fallen off the rig and uh, broke his arm. Well, if he broke his arm, then he would call me. So maybe he hit his head. Like that's as that's as bad as it got in my mind was yeah. that he fell off the rig and he hit his head. And so, uh, as she's calling again, I, I just asked the candidate a question and I put him on mute so that I could answer and just kind of let her know, Hey, is everything okay? Like I'm on a, a phone call right now. And when I answered the phone, um, all I heard was screaming and wow. chaos and, um, and then I could finally make out the word shot. So what was really intense about that moment was as soon as I heard that word, my body responded because I started convulsing and I just felt like I could not stop this shaking. I mean, my mind went into that fuzzy TV state, right? Where I'm just like, I don't even know what to do at this point. Like I have to get back on the phone. Um, so I had to calm my voice enough to get back on and say to the gentleman, thank you so much for your time. We'll be in touch with next steps. I mean, I just can't even, it, that right there in that split second was an out of body experience. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how I got through that. And so I picked up my son and I was bouncing him because innately I was thinking, I don't want him to feel what's happening to my body and then worry. Yeah. And so I took him over to, um, to the neighbor's house and I just asked them to watch him. I hopped in my car and was going a hundred and something down the highway to get to the gym. And then it was the light before the gym when it kind of dawned on me and not fully, but I thought to myself, why am I not on my way to the hospital? Yeah. You know, if it's been 20 minutes now, at least at this point, it takes me 10 minutes to get to the gym, even if I'm flying. Um, but so say it's been 20, 30 minutes, they would have been on their way to the hospital. I should be meeting them there. And so I don't, I, I pulled up and, um, it was just pandemonium, you know, news trucks and reporters. They're already people from the community, people from church, people I knew some, I didn't know, you know, it was just, it was crazy. And, um, and I do remember being there sitting behind a bush, rocking back and forth and just saying over and over, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't real. And I, but I don't remember, which is interesting. I don't remember who told me he died or when they told me or how they told me. Like in that space, it's just kind of blank, but, yeah. but that is the night that changed my life. Oh, I, it's really interesting. You just brought up this, the pieces you do and don't remember. Cause it's one of the things as I listen to you tell your story on ridiculously human. And right now, um, first of all, my heart goes out to you. It's hard not to, um, you know, we were talking before recording, like there's a piece of me that wasn't there, but it, it's close to home in my story. Mm -hmm. um thoughts have certainly had to think through as you know what if yeah. um how how do you talk about this today it's i i find it um it's got to be a lot of strength and maybe it took years but to even remember what you do remember and to be able to talk through right yeah i 
I'm, I'm curious about the strength in that alone. Like, were you able to talk about this pretty quickly or no. we're six years out? I mean, it's which is the six year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, no, actually it's not, I, this is what I say about grief. We never stop grieving. We mm. just learn how to manage it in our life. And that comes through building our resilience and our mindset, which is a choice, right? Where you focus your mind and your energy is going to dictate the thoughts that you're creating, the words that you're speaking, and even the actions that you're taking. And so um, early on, it was so unfathomable to me that I really could not put into words that this was my life. I could not, I would just especially in the first year I was on mm. autopilot, you know, I yeah. didn't know how to put one foot in front of the other. And the best I could do was take a shower. <laughs> you yeah. know, even it was just, it was hard. And the first year also created a ripple effect of other losses. So it was like, I was drowning. Like that was the best way that I could describe it to people was I felt like I was drowning, but I, I started to find strength in telling my story about two years after he died, because up to that point, there's so many, you know, there were some good things that happened, but there were so many crazy and difficult and arduous things that happened that I wanted to alleviate other people's suffering. Mm. And so, so a couple of things left this imprint on my heart early on. One, on the first night when we were standing there at the crime scene, um, and I, t I talk about this in my TED Talk, I say how a police officer came up to me and he said, Mrs. Millsap, you're going to have to call someone to clean up in there. And I was blown away because I'm thinking, yeah, what do you even, I, I had no idea, right? You just, you just don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And so, um, so he said, you can look it up in the yellow pages. And, and so, of course, I'm like distraught by that. I'm like, what do I even look up? It was a crazy moment. But my pastor was standing there next to me. And within an instant, he said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. And so that moment where he put compassion into action, for me, left a huge imprint in the, in the sense that he showed up for me to alleviate pain. He didn't just feel sorry for me. He did something to help alleviate the pain that I was going through. And I wanted to do that for other people. Now, mm. I'm not saying that it was like a lightning bolt moment in that exact, but it left something, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so I think that because that imprint, and there were other ones along the way, but that's what kind of gave me the in, inspiration to share my story. Mm. Um, the courage was, has been, been just building up along the way, you know, yeah. there, there are still times on some podcasts where I tell it and I am crying because for whatever reason, I'm just taken back to that space. And I can imagine myself in that, um, in that, that just really sensitive place. Um, but now I think because I see the good on the other side, I am able to say it with a, with an energy that hopefully people are understanding like, yes, this happened but I wasn't crippled or paralyzed. I should say I wasn't paralyzed by it. Yeah. I have some wounds. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely have some battle wounds. Um, but it has gotten a little bit easier. Wow. Um, I, it's a logistical thing, but like I'm blown away by that, the, the cleaning, like mm -hmm. what's the movie sunshine cleaners or something like <laughs> that's all I know of these kinds of things. And I thought it was more like, at least to tell you, here's three, like now you're yeah. supposed to go, looking online or in the yellow pages to like, how do you even look for that? What it, it's almost, it's disgusting, uh, to put that on someone who's in the situation that you were in. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I love that. Put compassion into action. Yeah. Because we can all have compassion for people and that's a beautiful thing and it's not to take away from it, but it's a whole other where you then extend your hand. Right. Um, you know, it's not just thoughts and prayers, it's thoughts and prayers and put your arm around the person and help them cross well, the street. Well, I think that that's you know? the difference between empathy and compassion. It's the action behind it, right? Because mm-hmm. you can empath- you can empathize with somebody because we're all connected through our pain. Everybody's been through pain. It just looks a little different. You know, it could be a divorce. It could be a financial struggle. It could be anything, losing a child. It could be finding out you have cancer. It could be anything. You know this, you know, yeah. you feel this. The pain can look different, but we empathize with that because we haven't exactly lived it. And regardless of we lived it, if we've lived it or not, we can still feel that empathy because of the pain. But compassion is where I want to actually step in and help alleviate that pain for you. I don't yeah. just notice it and feel that for you because that is a good thing, but I want to do something behind that. And I think that's where you cross the line. Yeah. Um, this is something I struggle with. I'm always a see myself as a fixer. And so I have a very strong desire to step in and do because I want to help people and I want to lighten their load. And it's not always appreciated or it's, it doesn't make things better. Um, I think the situation you described, like, obviously that's a no brainer. That was beautiful and brilliant and caring and the right thing to do. Um, But I think there's a, a challenge for some of us to be mindful of, is this for you or for them? Absolutely. And if, if it's for you, it may not be the right answer. It may be, but it may not be. And if it's for that, I've I've found that to be a good switch for myself and thinking about why am I doing this and is this actually going to help them or is this because of something I'm facing? I hear that awareness in there, (laughs) that mental strength. That's good. That's good. And you know, that, that is kind of a good way to check yourself and your intentions, um, is to see, am I doing this? Cause I want to get that gold star Mm -hmm. or, and what I tell people when they ask me, how do I show up for somebody? Because I'm sure that they're going through the same internal battle. Um, what I tell them is just respond to their basic needs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like checking the mail. If it's helping with the dogs, if it's, you know, just little things like that, because, what we need to do is we do as a society need to help one another heal by sharing our stories, right? I think that's how we take lemons and make lemonade is by sharing what helped me during my hardest time, you know, just telling that story. Um, but I, but I also think that you can do more with that by actually showing up for people. And so that's where you really got to think like, okay, can I show up for them in a way that is authentic and that is going to help to alleviate their pain? If so, do it. Yeah. If you're doing it for other re- reasons, I would just say be still and look for an alternative option. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned there were two things. The, the first was the pastor stepping in that helped you get mm-hmm. to that place. What, what was the second thing? The other thing that helped me to see that I wanted to just kind of alleviate people's pain was the transition back to work because it was really difficult. Um, but my my boss, and I mentioned this to you earlier, Um, he responded in such a way that was just full of compassion and he did it because he had a near, he told, he told me later, he said, I only knew how to respond because I had a near death experience with my wife. Mm. And so again, he could empathize with what I was going through. And one of the things that he did, which was really out of the boxes, I'm not sure if you know this, but, um, bereavement is only three to five days in the United States. It's insane. You can't even plan a funeral in that time. Just saying. Um, and it's only, uh, mandated in one state. 
in Oregon, they're the only ones that who I require. Yeah, they're uh. the only ones who actually require employers to have a bereavement policy. Yeah. So the the point is that he saw this as uh, an insane policy, but he found a way to make sure that I had time to transition back to work. Mm-hmm. He actually put together a donation, um, a pay time off donation pot for me. And so anybody in the entire company could donate hours or days or whatever. And I actually had six weeks off. Wow. And that helped me do things like you have to get, you know, some business stuff, some work stuff, some house stuff, some kids stuff in order. Yeah. Right. And that all takes time. Yeah. And so, so the way that he responded, and that's one example, you know, he also allowed me to uh, come back on a part-time basis for the first three months. Um, and so I would work, uh, from home two days out of the week and I'd be in the office three days out of the week, which was really helpful. And just a couple of other things. But my point is, is that his response to my grief was not, Oh, here's an EAP program. You should go check it out. No, it was like hands on. How am I talking with you? How am I, you know, understanding what you're going through? And so for me, I thought if we could just educate one another, right? Because we're all leaders in our workspace. But if we could have this conversation about how we put our arms around people, Mm. then that would help people to navigate their grief from a healthier mindset. They wouldn't feel like they have to suppress it because other people are uncomfortable at work. No, they would know that not that you're asking, uh, you know, your colleagues or your boss to be your counselor, but if you have permission to be human, if you work in a psychologically safe environment, then at the end of the day, you're going to be more productive. You're going to be more loyal, right? Yeah. There are all of and, and you're just going to be a healthier human. Yeah. So I wanted to use my experience with my boss and some of the other great work experiences to teach others and to really create a movement, which um Cheryl Sandberg has done a good job with uh with option B and the conversation she's having to yeah. really, you know, encourage leaders like let's be human at work and let's have those conversations because we just we will elevate as a society. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think um when you find people who push back or hide behind a corporate shield, like, oh, well, we can't talk about those things at work. It's like, then what are you? Because work yeah. is made up of people. And this is like, we, like, you probably didn't know your boss's story until you had to know it. And there's a little bit of that, like, don't presume about anybody, what they do and don't know, what they haven't haven't experienced, especially in work, because you may not know because some people don't feel comfortable or weren't sure or didn't want to impress that upon you. But we all have something. Yes. There's yes. humans all around us if we're just willing to look. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe part of it is changing the conversation around grief. It's not just tied to a death, you know, it's changed yeah. to different, it's tied to different changes and losses. Um, but I also just think that, you know, it, we don't have to focus on grief. We can focus on compassion and empathy. Like we can focus on just connecting with one another better at work. Yeah. And Google did a really good study on that project Aristotle, where they wanted to just find like, what's the difference between our high performing teams and everybody else? Like just wondering, right. Just throwing it out there. And guess what they found? It was empathy. Yeah. It was just like last week that came out. Well, it was like, well, hit LinkedIn last week and like the daily briefing that like, yeah, this was a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah, There's a refresh on it. And so it was in the, like, so I've been sending that around. Yes. Good. Good. That's, but that's the point, right? It's like, it's not that you have the smartest person. It's not that you have the most tenure. It's that you have people who are people and make it safe for one another to be their whole self at work. Yeah. Like if they know who the significant others and kids names are, and if they know like what people's interests are and where they like all that kind of stuff. 
And it doesn't yeah. take a lot. It's like you walk into a, a meeting and instead of looking at our devices, we actually engage with the person sitting next to us. Like who would have thought? Doesn't yeah. cost you anything. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, it's how you set the temperature of the culture, right? And it's that each person matters. Yeah. I do hope that there's such a, a, a focus on employee engagement in the past few years, um, real in some cases and maybe lip service in others, but it's been a much more common conversation point than like when I was starting out in the corporate world mm -hmm. um, a couple of months ago, let's just jokingly say, not decades. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I feel like the door's open. We still have to walk through and maybe have to push it further open in some places, but I feel like there's at least the the roots of a movement to bring this more in, but then it, it's on all of us to keep making sure that happens. Yeah. But you know how we do that. You know how we, how we can take care of others better when we learn how to take care of ourselves better. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, and sure. so that's why my work, especially when I talk about resilience and mindset, that's why it does translate into those corporate environments because you're literally empowering individuals to be their best self, which it actually deepens their reverence for mm -hmm. other people. And so it just, I've said this on the Ridiculously Human podcast and it came out of nowhere. So I have to write this down now, but it's like when we are all our best self, then we're all winning. So yeah. if, if we take care of ourselves, it actually makes us want to take care of others better. Yeah. That's that notion has been a really strong theme lately around, like I was, I was just at a conference last weekend and, uh, the, the main like MC host for it kept saying like, you got to put on your own mask before you help the person next to you. Yeah. And it's like, I keep like, you can't care for people. If you're not caring for yourself, you can't help someone understand themselves and unpack what they're going through. If you're not doing that yourself. Yes. Yes. Like, and we people all. Ask, and people have asked me that, uh, when it comes to teaching my son and helping him through grief, Yeah. whenever somebody asks me that, how do you help a child through grief or understand? I always tell them, and this is, this goes for any life skill. You have to learn it first. Yeah. You have to know it, live it. Otherwise, how are you going to teach somebody else? So again, everything that I have done myself with my mindset, with breathing techniques, I mean, with everything, mm. I literally teach my son. It's interesting raising kids, um, raising kids and raising kids, like raising the subject of it, but also raising them. Kids see through it when we're faking it. Oh my gosh. You yeah. get, you know, like trainers, coaches, some of them out there will... They got the, the great knowledge and lessons and facade, but behind the scenes, they're not necessarily living it. But kids will see straight through that in a way that I think adults can't. So true. Yeah. So as you're raising a kid, um, he can see whether you're doing that or not. He can see whether you're living truthfully with what you're telling him about. Yep. yep so exactly. how has that played out? As Because this wasn't just not that it would have been easy if it was just you but it's materially different because there was a very young child involved and um i don't know what your relationship was like with your stepdaughter at the time but like is more than just him how does that all play into this process that you went through yeah yeah well you know with him i had to first early on um i was trying to not cry in front of him because I felt like I didn't want to increase his sadness or I didn't want to, and I, I didn't even talk to my family about my grief for a while because I didn't want to be a burden to them. Um, but then I realized when I wasn't crying in front of him that it was doing a disservice to how I was raising him because I had an opportunity to teach a young boy who's going to be a man one day yeah. how to navigate and manage emotions if I can just be an example to that. And so I decided to not suppress it and that I would just let it happen when it would happen naturally, you know, 
um, whenever we had tough discussions. But very early on, my counselor told me, she said, because he was two, um, he's not going to have a memory of his dad. And that made yeah. me so sad. Yeah. You know, and she, and then she said, as he continues to develop, especially around like four or five, he now this part of our brain is starting to create storylines. Yeah. So he's going to want to know more because he's tying things together. So it's really just evolved. Um, where we are today is, you know, he still has moments where he's like, it's not fair. My dad should be here. Um, but they don't happen that often. Um, but when they happen, they're heavy. They're so, so heavy, you know, because he's right. Like, I remember when we found out I was having a boy and literally my husband yelped, he was like, "Whoa!" like his hands threw up, his, his feet were up. Like, I wish that my son would be able to feel the love that his father had for him and, and, and know that, but he will never have that. And it breaks my heart. But I really, I mean, you know, I don't, one thing is I totally give it to God. I totally turn it over and I'm like, Hey, I just need you to come in and fill this space with unconditional love. Right. Um, but then I also, am just very real with him because I want him to know that you have every right to be upset about that, but you know what, this is what we're going to do. And then I give him like a positive spin. Now I will say this. I don't push him to that. Yeah. We will sit in that hard space for a while, but once we can kind of like come up and take a breath, that's when we talk about things that we should be grateful for. You know, we, we remember him and his, uh, love of eating a whole watermelon. You know, we, we remember how much he would love, um, anything working out or something Mm -hmm. like we would just and so that way he's not stuck and dwelling in that space of sadness yeah. or anger or yeah. whatever that looks like. And I feel like if I can just be an example to that, that you can honor your emotions, but that you can also choose how you're going to move forward. I mean, for me, that's the best I can do because I can't change our scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm feeling for your son and also thinking about how, yeah, not having those memories, but getting the chance to create this sort of pride and honor around the idea of his father and that there was this undying love for him. Um, so as a dad, I'm getting moved right now. Uh, yeah. But I imagine with resilience in general, not just with your son, like that your point about I don't push him, right? Like he is feeling something. And I see that as a stark difference in approach between the sort of like you need to toughen up look, this is reality, move forward, move on, or or the sort of distracting that you see a lot of parents do with kids as they're upset and like, oh, look at this shiny thing over here. Right, right, right. It's they like, replace it, it maybe yeah. with something new or something different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually, we do need to feel that and like validate your feelings, honor them, work through them, and then find how with that behind you or that inside of you and an understanding of it, how do you move forward? I, so I appreciate that that approach that like there's a recognition and I keep using the word validation, but I think that's what it really is, is like, this is how you feel. And that's valid. You're not wrong for feeling that we're not going to ignore that or shunt it. Mm -hmm. And you know, part of it is because of what I noticed when I was going through my grief was I was holding a lot of shame. Yeah. And I'm like, why, why do I feel like I have to push through this? Why do I have to hurry up and feel better? Why do I have to, or why do I have to grieve the way other people are telling me I should grieve? Right. Like it was just really crazy to me. And as I was kind of processing that, 
you know, one of the things that, again, I'll, I'll go back to is I wasn't even comfortable sharing a lot of my emotions with my family because I felt like I would be a burden to them because they were missing Richard and loving him too. Right. And so I didn't want to add to their pain and to their grief. So it was very hard for me to share mine, but it wasn't until my, my brother-in-law said to me, he said, Karen, you know, we want to be here for you. Yeah. And this was maybe two years after Richard died. He's Is like, this Richard's just... brother or no, 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 brother-in-law from your side? Okay. Yeah, it's my sister's yeah. um, husband. And he said, you know, we want to be there for you. We yeah. want to sh- like just put our arm, but sometimes we don't know how to. Yeah. And I think there's something to that. You know, again, I came to that realization with my son that, oh, I'll let my guard down so that he can understand. But yet I wasn't even doing that with my loved ones. Yeah. And so I, and again, as I kind of think back about it, it's because we live in this society where we're so uncomfortable with other people's emotions, right? That we will say things that will kind of keep an arm, keep them at arm's length. Like, oh, I used to hear this all the time and it was so insensitive. Oh, don't worry. You're young. You're going to get married again. Because okay. that, that's your number one issue is now that you're single. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and the fact that you think that somebody could actually replace my husband. I'm yeah. not saying I won't get married again, but that is a different, that's, that's there's not, different, yeah, right? Yeah. And, or they would say something like, oh, if you just stay busy, then you'll be okay. Like, no, all of these things kind of like the shiny object with the kid, right? It is either distracting you from working through it or it is forcing you to suppress it. And guess what? The more we suppress it, the more likely it is going to manifest itself in unhealthy ways. Yeah, absolutely. But if we let it come to the surface and we learn how to manage it by managing it, it actually builds your resilience. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it's, it's eating away at it. That's correct. Cause it's all a facade. Yeah. And you're, and let me just say this to everybody listening. You're a lot stronger than you think that you are. Yes. You will feel like those days are going to get the best of you. And you know what? They may, you yeah. may not shower, you may not eat, but the next day you, you can look back and say, wow, I just got through a really tough day. I can do it again. Yeah. And, and in that validation and recognizing what it is, it's not, um, it's really important not to pass judgment on yourself for it. So like my wife wasn't feeling well yesterday. I had to be out of town for the day. And when I got home, she's like, I, we didn't do anything. I feel so bad. Our son just like sat around. He's like, yeah, I had a great day. Like I did this, I did that. But she's like all negative about it and how she didn't amount to anything in her words. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a choice. I'm like, you weren't feeling well. Like yeah. why, you know, don't, don't beat yourself. Like being negative on yourself for how you're feeling is not helping you through it. Mm-hmm. Is not is not validating it. She's recognizing that she didn't feel well, but then she's beating herself up for it. And and right, that's you, that second arrow. Somebody yeah. said that to me, and I forget who said it, but they said it's like you know the first arrow will come at you, and and maybe you can't dodge it, but that second arrow is self inflicted. Yes. And yeah. that's where, I don't know about you, but I can see how early negative self-talk starts because I yes. see that with my son when things don't come easy and he's only eight years old. Yeah. And so again, thank thank goodness I know some of this mindset work, yeah. right? Because I'm trying to instill it in him. But we all, by default, go to negative self-talk. That's yeah. why it is a choice for you to build yourself back up, for you to find truth in that, for you to not give up, right? Because for whatever reason, I don't know why, but it is by default we go to that negative space it's totally generational because you see parents doing it and they talk to their kids that way and it gets handed down and it's also societal like that's Mm -hmm. especially at work that's like the humor we all use is like who has it worse who isn't as good Mm -hmm. um i just had someone yesterday who's like you know i'm really bad at this but you're good at it but i'm like why did you just say that right you're talking about something you're working on like 
how I am versus how you are is not relevant and you're not bad at it, but now you are. Yeah. Because yeah. you see you yourself that way. You know where that also stems from? Because asking for help is a sign of weakness. Mm. So you can't directly say, hey, I don't understand this. Could you help me? So you drop hints. Correct. You know what I'm saying? So, like, and that's why empathy is so important. And actually, in organizations, you can stimulate more empathy by creating this culture where you do leverage other people, where you do openly ask for help. Because when you ask for help, it also increases trust. Yes. Oh, yeah. All of these things are connected. But yeah, I mean, that's a good example. Instead of just saying or feeling comfortable saying, hey, I'm not sure how to do this. Can you help me? They make a, they jest about it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not really smart in this area, but you're better. And like, no, just directly ask for it. That is okay. Yeah. You are not losing any, you know, ego with that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and to your point about we're a lot stronger than we give ourselves credit for, like, make sure you're not just not giving yourself credit. Because I always say, like, if you're really as pathetic, weak, bad, whatever words you're using, as you say you are, you probably wouldn't still be here. True. You know, like, I always say, like, I always thought this was the worst. It's everything's over. And yet somehow I'm still here. There's still a roof over my head. I'm still employed. Like, you know, all the things I'm like, oh, this is it. It's all over. It's like, well, then why am I here? Yeah. Because if I was right, I wouldn't be. But we don't we sort of don't stop to recognize that. That's actually something I just um, was teaching in my soul care class. We were talking about resilience. And I said, you know, when you are able to keep perspective then that helps to also build your resilience because resilience is really your ability to bounce back. Yeah. And so when you are, are changing your perspective to be healthier and more productive, that in itself, that little moment is an act of resilience. (laughs) And so the more that you adjust your perspective and keep perspective of things, again, you are, you're filling up that tank. Yeah. I love that. Can not to, to take away from the positive vibe we're on right now, but can you take me back to the shame feeling? I want to understand where you think that was coming from and what are some of the things that you do, because that's really common. So what, do you, what are some of the things that you would tell people who are facing that when mm-hmm. you're talking about the shame of like not wanting to burden your family, feeling the shame for how you were grieving or what you were feeling and that you weren't you know, bubbly and light about it and you have mm-hmm. moments where you'd cry or whatever? Yeah, um, I can't pinpoint that it came from one specific place other than, um, I think just in general with us being uncomfortable with other people's emotions in our society, it then causes us to kind of bottle it up. And if we're not seeing other people model this behavior, then we think something's wrong with us. And then that's where shame takes its root. Mm. And so that's why I want to be an example. That's why I want to share my story and say, I did not have it all together either. So do not feel bad when you don't. Right. Yes. I would cry. I would be angry. I would, you know, cuss during my prayers. Like I, you know, I was like, I would keep it real because I'm like, don't feel bad. You need to see that other people are living like this and going through this experience so that, you know, you are normal. Otherwise you feel like something's wrong with you. Um, but I also am just a very, empathic person. And so when I saw how much my family was grieving for me and grieving for Caleb, I felt like if I put into words how crazy I was going and how discouraged I felt that it would worry them even more. And Mm. so I didn't want to add to that. Mm. And so I thought that I was protecting them in a way by not sharing the things that I was going through. 
Um, and I didn't, like I said, it wasn't until after two years that I got more comfortable sharing it. And one time I remember sharing with, it was my, um, my sister and my brother-in-law and my parents, and we were sitting around in the living room and, you know, I just was sharing some of the, um, day-to-day thoughts that go through my mind when I miss Richard or when I'm angry, he's not here. Or when Caleb does something fantastic that he should see. And as I was talking to them about this, so now we're talking maybe four years out, right? Maybe. Yeah, probably four, if not last year. So five years out, I just start bawling. Uh. And I don't think that they have seen me, you know, cry like that in a while. But what do we naturally do when we see somebody we love who's crying? We want to fix it. We want to help. We want to, you know, jump in there. And that's not what I needed. I just wanted to share and express that. And they let me. Yeah. But I think that, again, early on, I was just worried about sharing that vulnerable side because I didn't want it to add to or deepen the grief that they were already feeling by losing their relationship with Richard and by also seeing me go through this. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about forgiveness for a moment? Cause mm. your, your story's a bit, I've had other people who have lost a spouse um, or uh, I don't know if you know, Michael O'Brien, he was also on. Yes. Yeah. So like, yep. you know, we talked, he introduced me to the ridiculously oh, human right. guys. He introduces <laughs> everybody to everybody. Connector. I love him. Yeah. Hey, OB. <laughs> Um, you know, he talks about forgiveness with the driver. Um, you, they never caught the individual, right? Right. The perpetrator. So where, where does that leave you with forgiveness? Is that something you're feeling, looking at, not interested in? What, what's your take on forgiveness as part of the resiliency journey? Thank you for throwing that in there. Not interested in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Is that that's real, right? Like it's, well, it's something there's judgment around either way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So as it pertains to forgiveness, I would first say this. I don't think forgiveness is a feeling. I think it's a choice. Mm-hmm. And I initially thought because I was operating from that space where I, I thought it was a feeling. Um, I was like, I'm not interested in feeling that. (laughs) That's why I say thank you for that, because that's exactly what I felt. I literally was like in my prayers, I don't care. You're going to have to talk to me about this when we get to the pearly gates. I'm not forgiving this monster. Like it was straight up and down. That's how I felt. And so as I continued on my own um, faith journey, what I realized what was also happening was that I was, because I couldn't forgive them, I kept replaying the horrific thing that happened. Mm. And so I was losing myself mentally. Mm. I was losing myself emotionally. I mean, I was, I was physically making myself sick and mentally driving myself crazy. So I had to think about that. I had to consider if they never find this person, am I going to stay here in this place? Am I going to allow myself to be stuck here in this bitterness? and anger and injustice, because that's what it felt. I mean, I was this kid away as a kid growing up. If somebody did something wrong to me and I was like, okay, if I did something to you and then you're mean to me, I get it. But if I didn't do anything like, no, somebody should pay for this. This is wrong. Right. So for me, it was an anger of the injustice that was behind that. And so what really became kind of the turning point for me was I had to decide if I was going to take responsibility for my healing journey. And that's when I said, okay, forgiveness is a part of that. Mm. Otherwise, I am going to be stuck. I am going to be replaying this. And so I was actually watching um, what really washed for, like that started the the conversation in my head, right? Yeah. 
But what really washed forgiveness over me was, um, have you heard of the book, The Shack? No. Okay. So I, I was told to read this in like, I don't know, 2009 and I never read it, but they came out with a movie and it was maybe in 2016 or 17 that it came out. I went to see it by myself and, and like on a Wednesday, 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'm glad that I did because there was a point in the movie and I will not spoil it, but there was a point in the movie where it gives you perspective of why people make the type of decisions that they do, even if it's bad decisions and evil decisions. Mm. And when you consider, even if you don't know it, but if you could just even imagine what brings them to that point, like what happened to them to get them to this point of doing something like this? there's usually a lot of pain behind that. Yeah. You know, it's not just a monster who decided to, you know, do this heinous act. Even in the most crazy, disgusting, lewd experiences, there was pain that put this person in this mental state, in this emotional state to actually go through with that. Yeah. And it opened up a new level of compassion for me. And I didn't want to receive it, but I was sobbing in that theater. And I was just like, but again, I had to kind of release the fact that I was so stirred up about injustice and the fact that my husband did not deserve to die and definitely didn't deserve to die like that. Yeah. Um, But I can't change that. Yeah. So when it comes to forgiveness, it also plays a part of acceptance. Hmm. And acceptance does not mean that everything is okay. It actually, it does not justify what's happened at all. Acceptance means that you are acknowledging your starting point. And if you can acknowledge your starting point, then you can also choose to forgive. So that's kind of what, how it unfolded for me. Wow. So what is forgiveness to you in this context? Is it specific to the individual? Is it a letting go? Like how, how would you talk about it? Yeah. So I think that my forgiveness for the individual is, is going to be tested and challenged if they ever do find this person and we end up in a courtroom together. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I have met only one other widow who lost her husband, uh, to violence. And she said, and they knew who it was actually the night he died. And she said, when she walked into that courtroom for his verdict, she thought she was going to walk out feeling better. And she said, I walked in and I walked out feeling the exact same way. So just know that you Mm. are not going to feel better even once they, you know, and that was really good for me, but I still feel like, um, forgiveness is, is an act of self-compassion, but it is also an act of compassion for the other person. And so I think it would be very hard. And I guess I'll see how much forgiveness I'm actually feeling if I ever see that person. Um, but I think that it, it does play out in the sense that I forgive the fact that you felt like that was the only option you had. And I release that. I can't control that. I release that so that I can choose my response. Yeah. Well, I imagine, uh, quote unquote justice, like legal justice has nothing to do with the word injustice that you're talking about. So yeah, seeing some form of legal justice being served in court doesn't necessarily mean anything, including the death penalty or anything else. I mean, it's none of that that changes your situation. And, And I like, again, that's perspective. Right. That's a healthy mindset to say, like, I'm not even 
you know, maybe karma did catch up with you jerk, (laughs) but I'm not even going to wish anything horrible on you because then again, that's going to take my mind to a negative place where I'm thinking about vengeance. And now that energy is stealing from a place that could be more productive in my life, right? Like you Mm. literally have to keep perspective of everything because even if I wish that on you also, it's not going to bring my husband back. So I still have to deal with where I am today. But when you work on your mindset, when you are deliberate and and I would say like when you're intentional, right. About the kind of thoughts you're harboring and dwelling on about the actions and the words that you put out there, when you're intentional with your space and how you're showing up in life, I think that that's what helps you to, um, respond from healthier ways that can also help to just uplift one another. Right. Oh. If I were in this bitter space, how would my son be seeing me? Right. Yeah. If I'm like talking about how much I hate this person, it's horrible. If I'm like literally dwelling in this space, then what kind of example am I to him? But yeah. now because I'm in a healthier space, it's creating a healthier ripple effect. Yeah. And I'm I'm conscious of that. Yeah. Oh, that's I think that's for for parents out there, that's a really strong wake up call is when you reflect on, you know, fast forward twenty years, what is that child turning into as a result of this behavior on my part or these actions or inactions? Um, certainly what woke me up. Um, and we're, we're getting, we're getting close on time before we wrap things up. I'm just curious for people who are facing something where resilience is not, um, not active for them, but would benefit them greatly. What are some of the things you, you mentioned like breathing and some of the things that helped you move forward, get to a place where you, I mean, You've you've gone quite a ways down that journey, but something kickstarted it. So what are some of the practices that were supportive of you? Yeah. So I was trying to conceptualize the movement in my mind from dwelling on something negative to moving it in a healthier direction. And so I created this methodology called stop and shift. So I'd love to share that with your listeners because yeah, I think it'd be really helpful. So mindfulness is a trending topic, but it definitely has a lot of benefits. It's just sometimes hard to grasp, right? Especially if you're like breaking into this, you're like, okay, well, how do I control my mind? How do I master it? And so stop and shift is a good entry point. Um, stop stands for silence thoughts on purpose. The very first thing that you have to do is one, understand that you have a voice inside of your head, right? We all have that voice the one that said you don't have one right now. (laughs) And so, and so the, the voice is creating these thoughts, but you can disconnect yourself from those thoughts. That is awareness. That's consciousness. And so when you are in the middle of any situation, whether it feels self-defeating or even maybe in the midst of an argument with somebody, if you can first silence thoughts on purpose, then you can bring yourself to present. That's what the first part of this method is to help you do is to bring you to present. And then we can't just stop these negative thoughts, right? We have to actually uh, point them in the direction we want them to go. Otherwise, they're going to go back to the negative. (laughs) And so we have to shift. And shift stands for see hope, intentions, facts, and new thoughts. At any point during any given situation, you're going to look at one of those three, and then it's going to get you to the new thoughts. And the new thoughts are what help you to, you know, decide how you're going to respond. But, you know, for me, very early on, I was turning a lot to hope because I was, you know, bordering on that hopelessness and depression and all of that and, and wanting to give up on life and everything. And so 
even if you have 0.01% of hope, that could be enough to just get you through the day, right? Mm. Or through the hard moment, whatever. So hope is the first thing that you should shift to if you're in the midst of just despair. Um, intentions are really important because when you're showing up in a situation, if you're trying to show up as your best self, sometimes you got to check your intentions. Are you acting from a place that is power driven? Are you on an ego trip? You know, are you uh, being defensive right now? Are you really listening and engaging with the other person? Like check your heart, right? And if, again, the best way for you to see if your intentions are good, if they're wrapped up in good things like kindness and joy and peace and like all of that stuff. So check your intentions and then you can decide what you need to move forward with. And then facts comes into play when sometimes we respond just because we have limited information and it's just a knee jerk reaction. But if you can stop for a second, and this is really helpful in the workplace, especially when you're like at a round table and you're trying to collaborate. Um, if you can stop for a second and make sure that you have all the facts before you are, you know, jumping in to give your two cents or to make a final decision, then that's going to help to make sure that you're making the best decision possible. So again, stop and shift is a really great way for you to just like evaluate what's going on in your mind and move it in a healthy and productive, uh, mm. manner. Can I ask you for one clarifying, clarifying point? Yeah. Um, if I can say it, stop <laughs> relative to kind of respecting and honoring where you're at and your feelings. Mm. How do you mix those two? Cause mm -hmm. I, I, I'm sure you've thought of this. Like, what I don't want is for someone to hear and be like, wait, okay, so just like ignore what I'm thinking. Feel that's not what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So clarify no, the difference here. Yeah, because when you're using stop and shift, it's before you are about to take an action mm -hmm. or say something specific. Like you're interacting or you are um, uh, just needing to make a decision, right? So when I say stop, I'm saying like stop those damaging thoughts that are telling you that you're nothing, that mm -hmm. you're worthless, that, you know, like whatever that is, stop the negativity, right? Yeah. And then you move in a healthy direction. When I feel overwhelmed with stress, I will sit in that space and feel overwhelmed with stress. However, I can tell the difference if I've over, if I'm overwhelmed with stress, cause this just happened not long ago, because I'm telling myself, what are you doing? You should be doing more. Why can't you do this? Why didn't you show up? There? That's what I need to stop. It's yeah. not that, you know, you can't feel these emotions, but you have to listen to the story that you're playing in your head. And if it is unhealthy, that's what you need to yeah, stop. Yes. a self-judgment piece. Correct. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're um, welcome. So that's one of the many things that you're doing to help people. Where can people get the rest of what you are doing to help? I mean, these, these are, obviously it works in less serious situations, but you have lived through something incredibly um, powerful, sounds positive, but powerful, strong, uh, life-changing, um, and you're thriving, and it's different. You know, people say like a comeback implies you're back where you were. It's not about that. It's a, a movement to a different place. Um, uh, unbelievably inspiring. Where can people find out more about that? Well, thank you for saying that. Um, you can find anything from me at KarenMillsap.com uh, with two L's. Follow me on Instagram. I'm super active there, putting out inspiration, Karen.Millsap. But if you go to my website, you can find free resources. You can see anything, the membership community, all of that, the Stop and Shift book that's coming out, <laughs> all good Ooh. things. When is yes. that coming out? Early 2020. So okay. I am, uh, I'm actively working on that and it is like, you know, I didn't want to, 
Can I just say this for a second? I did not want to write this book. So I was like, I have enough on my plate. Like I literally can't do this too. And then I finally surrendered and I said, you know what? If this is meant to be out there to help people, then I just release this to the universe. And yeah. I just ask that the words flow through me and the words have not stopped. Yeah. So I am super excited. And it's a perfect time at the beginning of a new year to really just, you know, really think about how you're showing up in life and having a tool in your tool belt to help you show up as your best self. That's awesome. Um, this will come out before your book, but when your book comes out, I want to know so I can go back and edit the show notes page. So if people are listening to this in early 2020 going forward, whenever <laughs> early is, yeah. Having put out two books, I'm not going to name a specific date or push you on that. <laughs> uh, my second book is coming out in late 2018. How's that happening? <laughs> we'll just we'll leave it there. Um, yeah. yeah, but obviously, if, if you're listening, you know, later on, if you're newer to the show, um, check the show notes because if it's out, there will be a link to it. Um, that's what, and I, I get the the point about it flowing is when you hit something that's within you and you know has mm -hmm. an impact. The writing's actually like you, you have to stop it because you have other things to go do. Yep. The editing's the hard part, but the writing's not. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I've heard. So I've heard. Yeah, I'll yeah. have to ping you as a, a mentor who's found success in this. I'm like, okay, what do I do now? Because all I've got are the the, the notes. <laughs> do a day was three months to write, fifteen months to edit. Oh, but that's it. It wasn't. It wasn't with a good editor until right at the end of that journey. So it could have <laughs> okay. been a lot shorter if I knew what I was doing. Anyway. Um, that's amazing. And uh, I'll link to, to all that. So thank you for sharing. People should hop into KarenMillsApp.com with two L's and um, and get more, learn more. Um, it's a really nice site too. So it's just a nice place to go and visit, like just uh, aesthetically. Thank it's a very you. pleasing site to see. So even if you don't feel like you care, just go and look <laughs> and you may find yourself caring anyway. Um, thank you. No, it's excellent. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this for giving me some time. I didn't realize the OB connection. I would have dropped his name right off the bat and it would have been a no-brainer. I mean, actually using his pen, nice. surprisingly. Um, <laughs> OB is everywhere. He's yeah. connected to everyone. He so is. He's yeah. a great guy to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Are you, uh, you up for helping me close things out? Yes. Yeah. All right. So today is a new day. Go out and do it. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for having me. Is she not amazing? Are you finding yourself completely inspired and uh, maybe a part of you is sad? Maybe a part of you is really uh, moved, touched. Maybe it really resonated with you. I know for anyone who's a parent listening, a spouse, someone in a relationship where you have, you know, that person in your life, your person, your, your soulmate, uh, you, it's like impossible not to have that moment where you think about what would it be like if they were ripped from me and ripped is the right word and if they were ripped away from their children like it's uh oh i so like obviously i did the interview uh you gotta keep it together as a host and then i'm listening several times like to do the edits to write the notes uh, to find the clip to put it in the beginning and I found myself feeling exactly the same each time which was um, that was a really painful place to be but then the flip side is how it gives you that inspiration that clarity uh, yeah that that just kind of like lift you up and show you there is a way 
to continue to live. There's such power and positivity in Karen's voice, and it's really genuine. I mean, you know, you guys didn't get to see it. We were on video, like I saw who she is when she was saying these words, and it's really pure, and it's really, uh, it just, it, it moved me a lot. And so I hope that you took that from this too. Uh, stop and shift. You know, it's really straightforward, but we keep it. She's right. Like we keep hearing about mindset or mindfulness, I should say. Um, and yeah, it really matters. But like, what does that mean? What do you do with it? And here she is giving us something really clear that we can focus on and where we may be in different stages of the process. So what things can we lean back on to give us that power to move our thoughts? Uh, stop and shift. So I'm definitely like, I'm going to have that present in my mind. Um, you know, when I'm in those places and I hope to never be anywhere like where she had to be and like where I almost was. Um, but I certainly feel differently about my ability to be resilient than before getting to talk to Karen. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, please do go to karenmillsap.com. She's right. Two L's. It's really important to remember that. Um, and of course, like, you know, there's there's links in the show notes. So you can get to it really easily. But do check out her site. Follow her on social media. Check out what she's putting out there. I'm really excited for her to work on this book. Um, I hope she pushes forward with it. It's a lot of work. But there's so clearly a book in her. And more importantly, there are clearly people who need the book in her to come out. So I hope for everyone else's sake and for her own that she does that work because it's going to be awesome. So I'm excited when that book is out, maybe we can have her back on. Um, but obviously like I'll update the notes. So if you're reading this or reading, if you're hearing this sometime in 2020, hopefully the books come out um, or t later than that too, like obviously going forward. Um, but yeah, really supportive of her putting the effort into bringing those thoughts to paper to touch even more people. Thank you to Karen for being on. And thank you to all of you for listening. Um, if you guys haven't caught it when I've closed out the other shows, my new book is coming out. Speaking of Karen's book, moving into mine, um, the 50-75-100 solution, Build Better Relationships, is coming out. And now I have a date. What are you doing on November 19th? Well, you're either going to buy the book at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you like to get your books, or you're doing something else because you already pre-ordered it. So either way you're covered. Um, make sure you go to brianfalchuk.com. And if you haven't signed up for my email updates, you're going to want to sign up because that's where I'm going to send out the alert that the pre-orders are up. Actually, I'll let you in on a secret. It's already available on Amazon for pre-order. At least the kindle version is um and the nook and paperback may be available for pre-order and barnes noble and other places or like kobo or you know all the other ebook stores um i'm not positive when those will be available but i know the kindle version can already be pre-ordered and accidentally the print version was fully available for like a half a day before i realized that it was just out there um but you don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder when you just sign up for my updates and I will let you know. And it makes it super easy. But if you would just want to get it out of the way and you want to order that pre-sale Kindle ebook, 
It's just $6.99, but I will give you one other secret. It's not going to be $6.99 when you actually get it. I am going to do a special release day pricing, just like I did with Do A Day. And I know a lot of people got back to me like, that was awesome. It was like such a no-brainer to pick up the book. I'm so glad I got it. Um, So I'm going to do something special with that. I'm just not telling people what that pricing is yet, but just rest assured, if you got $6.99 for an ebook, you won't have to spend all that. Um, Not that it's a lot, and I think the book's worth way more than that, but you're going to get a special little surprise on release day because it'll be less than that. So go to Amazon, pre-order the Kindle. That'd be awesome if you wanted to do that. But if you're not sure, you want to get the paperback, you want to get a signed copy or something like that, just sign up for my updates at brianfalchuk.com or you can go to brianfalchuk.com slash sign up. And that'll also take you to the form to just put in a couple of simple pieces of information. Boom, you'll get the email when I have it ready to go out. And I don't spam people and I don't send many updates at all, but this is going to be one of them. So the 5075-100 solution, I need all of your help to make sure, like it's Big Brother do a day, it gets to be a number one bestseller also. And that means you got to order the book on release date or pre-order it before. That would be such a huge help. Okay, enough promotion. Thank you so much for making it this far. Um, Again, huge thank you to Karen for jumping right back to me when I asked her to be on the show and for bringing so much power, positivity, and beauty into this really difficult, difficult subject. Um, Thank you. Today's a new day, my friends. Go out and stop and shift and then do it. Take care. 4.30 and 6.30.